Welcome to Starfleet Boy, where we have a casual and informal discussion about our beloved series, Star Trek. Another exciting episode of Starfleet Boy, where we have a casual and informal discussion about Star Trek, Star Trek The Next Generation, and today's episode is Data's Day, and I'm joined once again by Sean from Trek on the Tube. Hello, Sean. Hello. Hello, world. Hello, Sahel. <laughs> Hello, everyone. How you doing? It's a, bu- it's a bubble universe, my channel, so it's about 12 people <laughs> that you're saying hello to. Well, but I a bubble those, universe is a universe nonetheless. People. It's true. I love those 12 people so much. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> where were we? So uh, I guess our previous episode, which was now recorded three weeks ago, was our New Year's episode, but this episode is being recorded directly after New Year's. It's our first mm. episode of the New Year, 2018. It is. Uh, it is. And so it's tradition now because I think, if I'm not mistaken, Starfleet Boy has already been through one New Year's celebration because I started in 2016. So it's traditional oh, wow. to uh, to have a little quick, very, very quick New Year's uh, <laughs> New Year's uh, discussion. So much How Star Trek, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. How was your New Year, Sean? Uh, it was good. We had, um, well, I uh, I work very long hours, um, which means I, I usually don't you know, have the opportunity to actually celebrate New Year's. Um, and this was, I think, my first New Year's off in five years, maybe. Oh, wow. Um, well, that, that's but, of course, I was absolutely tired. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I, I was, uh, it was, I don't know, completely naked, so I, I couldn't, I couldn't go out or anything, so we didn't, we didn't, we, we wanted to go to, like, um, Montreal and see the fireworks, but then we were, A, discouraged by, um, by how many people were going to be there, uh, B, by, I suppose, me being tired, so we, we stayed at home and we watched a movie. It's, um, and, uh, I did, uh, we had a, uh, a nice meal. I did that ball drop thing one year, and uh, I didn't do it from anywhere near. <laughs> a friend of mine lives very close, close enough to Times Square that you can hear everything, mm. <laughs> and you can see like oh. the, the festivities. So I was in the comfort of his home, uh, watching it all. But it wasn't. It's not the same as the people on the ground. <laughs> on the ground that are yeah. uh, that are there but I, I think that's the only time I ever did New Year's because large crowds kind of uh, you know make me uncomfortable I need like a couch and like you know a beverage and a little bit of space to dance so yeah <laughs> I, uh, I I much prefer um, I mean if I were to do New Year's um, with, with with people it would more because this was just with my wife but if, if it were with multiple people, I think it would be, you know, around a dinner table or something, just chatting and eating and, or just, you know, in the living room. And that, not necessarily in a public place, th- partying or whatever. I'm not. I think that's like the big, the, the majority of people's experience on New Year's because uh, um, 
and and I guess social media makes you more aware of this than, than ever. But when I was going through on Instagram, you can see little video snippets. Should your friends uh, or whoever you're following choose to uh, choose to upload them, um, and so the majority of that it was it was the scene you just described. It was like wonderful little small parties at home, or just like gathered on the couch and you know talking about New Year's stuff. <laughs> just goes to show there's kind of a disconnect between what you grow up um, imagining what New Year's is and what it actually is. Because you, you imagine big parties and people you know, getting wasted and fireworks and screaming and yelling in the streets and stuff, but... And maybe it's the movie's fault, but... Um, of course, it's the movie's fault. Everything's the movie's fault. Not, everything is. <laughs> everything is the violence fault the- <laughs> and, 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 and everything. Haven't and video you games. That by now? <laughs> oh my god, I'm so behind. <laughs> well, now you've just learned a valuable lesson. Now, <laughs> on to the episode. <laughs> so, uh, day to day. Uh, <laughs> Data's Day is uh, one of the uh, one of the most uh, delightful episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation. I remember loving it. Unique, yeah. It's also very unique. It's a it's a really uh, awesome concept. So uh, maybe for this one, you want to give the episode summary since since you like it so much. Do, are you are you game? <laughs> Do you th- no. <laughs> no. Um, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. This is 2018, so I will <laughs> I will um, prepare myself uh, mentally and psychologically to 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 do an episode re- re- recap awesome. at some point. That's awesome. All right, cool. Well, in the me- but um, not today. <laughs> so in the meantime, you'll have to help me out because I uh, I decided for 2018 that I'm not going to write them down anymore. I'm going to do them straight off the top of my oh head. Oh my again. god! So, so you'll have to assist my mind. But um, you're mad. <laughs> I've seen this episode enough times to uh, pretty much sum it up by saying uh, that. In this episode, we uh, we learn that Data communicates still with uh, with Doctor Maddox, the uh, guy who tried to take him apart uh, from uh, the uh, previous episode where his humanity or his actual sorry uh, sentience or uh, personage was in question. Mm-hmm. Um, and he writes to him about uh, mundane things like his programs and his processes, and like you know, he's like <laughs> they, they're exchanging uh, back and forth. You know, while Star Trek is going on and you see everything, we realize that Data is constantly in in a pen pal relationship with Doctor Maddox, and it's in kind touch of touch with this. <laughs> so we get a, we get to see a description from Data's perspective of a day in his life, and he happens to choose uh, the day that Keiko and uh, Miles O'Brien are getting married, and um, also in a, another story. Uh, uh, a, a crewman called Juarez is having a baby, <laughs> and so that's about all the. Oh, and an ambassador is coming aboard the Enterprise. That's that's like kind of what's going on. And so uh, through that, we um, we follow the events of those uh, those three plot lines uh, quite beautifully. Learn more about Data. We get to watch him uh, pick out gifts for Keiko and uh, Miles and. Um, uh, you know, we get to watch him learn how to dance, um, and all. You know, there's a quandary because Keiko doesn't want to get married, and you know, finally, uh, the big, big 
surprise is that the ambassador who was going to be part of a uh, mission of uh, opening uh, communications <laughs> is actually a Romulan spy that's been deep-seated into Vulcan and Federation society for like 20, 30 years. <laughs> like actually her whole career. Charming woman. Whatever, <laughs> whatever that would be. So wow, Romulans. Um, but <laughs> good job, Romulans. Good game. Good ga- I, I commend you for your your game here, but I still... <laughs> anyway. Oh, my. Oh, my. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty outrageous what happens. And so, yeah, that's a day in Data's life. Uh, Keiko ends up deciding to get married anyways. Um, we learn that there's a night shift and a day shift on the Enterprise, which we should have guessed, no surprise. And uh, the, the show ends. That's it. Bob's your uncle. <laughs> yep. That's, uh, that's pretty straightforward. <laughs> um. uh, so, yeah, it is an awesome episode on, on many levels, but I think the... Um, I, I forgot to mention in the summary, like, the neat thing about it is that um, Data's searching for his humanity which i have a lot to of thoughts about i would be curious to mm. see what you think about that but um he ends up it, it at least it shows us the audience that perhaps he already has that humanity because there's a lot of uh uh instances and and uh small moments throughout the episode that indicate that data is actually uh feeling something if not you know <laughs> if not an emotion he's he's feeling something there's, <laughs> there's a lot of um kind of direct Lines where he, he'll say something like, I can't feel nervous, but I, I am anticipating this or that. And so, yeah. Right. And that particular that kind of gives scene, you a glimpse. That particular scene's kind of fun because but, um, he's saying he's saying something along the lines of like, you know, if I had emotions, I would feel nervous right now because mm. it's about uh, the ambassador's kind of suspicious throughout the whole episode. She's very like, yeah. hush, hush. She's on a top secret mission. There's, I didn't mention that in summary either, but like she's, you know, Data's kind of like curious would be the correct. Because they're going to the neutral zone. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of, you know, it's a, why would you change your course yeah, straight like away? But s- builds a lot of tension, but he goes, um, if I, if I had emotions, I would be nervous, but his fingers tapping mm. Involuntarily, and he kind of takes notice of it in that scene, which is kind of awesome. That's that's what I wanted to say. I wanted to say there's a lot of there's a lot of moments where you realize he's human, or he's he's got some sort of humanity in him. Not necessarily when he speaks, but more in uh, what he does. It's kind of a read between the lines situation, right? You have all of these moments which are like just that the moment he's looking at Tapel, the ambassador in the turbo lift, he's kind oh, of yeah. he's keeping his head as straight as possible, but looking on the side, <laughs> try, trying, to, trying, to, trying to understand what's going on in this Vulcan's mind. It's, it's great. And then, as you said, he's tapping his finger and he kind of glimps at his finger. There's another one as well. There's a, a, a third one where I noticed he, he does something with his with his eyes. Oh, was there, well, there was the dance. Which is very There's human. the dance scene where he kind of holds this like really freaky smile and stare he's like that's more a testament to how robot he is <laughs> yeah. or how android he is yeah i think well to be I a politically think this episode, correct yeah. but i think this episode actually like uh explains data a lot too because what you just said like i think it's easy to forget he's an android because he mm. looks human he acts very human like his you know like his mannerisms he's very good at what he does yeah. you know he's his programming is pretty excellent like to to come but i mean that they far. show that 
the moment you hit you begin the episode where he he completely misinterprets the good news by Keiko, <laughs> yes. um, and, and goes out and announces that at a brand like, hey, I got good news. If you want to make her happy? Don't get married. It's like no, you didn't. You didn't get that one quite right. The sad thing is, is that I I'm sure there are many situations where like a best man who has to deliver that news actually ends up delivering it like good news to try and uh, to try and offset the uncomfortableness of, the, of oh my god oh my gosh but it's so good that all that stuff's really good i liked um i also like that this is kind of finally where you begin to see the seeds of ds9 being planted because uh, o'brien and keiko are a big part of ds9 so I don't know if they did mm. that. I don't think they did it yeah. intentionally. I think they just thought that this is an interesting. Uh, uh, oh, well, this is one of those few characters opportunities to, bring to it, yeah. really show them. It, it, they have a lot of B plots um, throughout TNG that involve Keiko and O'Brien because I suppose you get used to those characters. You like them, and when you want to do something that isn't too important that you don't want to involve, you know, the the main cast, you can kind of use them. And it's a good idea. It's a great it idea. It works well. I, to me, I think uh, Chief O'Brien really expanded the storytelling uh, to like show you what life is like on a ship like that. You know, like it, it's kind of cool because mm. you could you could definitely do that through any one of the seven. You know, the Magnificent Seven <laughs> that we always get. But it's nice to see it from other uh, things, which I'm right. looking forward to. Another episode coming up soon called The Lower Decks, which is another episode that like I think oh, yeah. like Data's Day is very like unique and it uh it defines things um i think that uh <laughs> we get a little uh humbert uh the doctor likes to talk about how the romulans never really went anywhere and i'm curious what you think about that because i'm on the other camp where i think that they're exactly they do exactly what i think romulans need to do but he thinks that like the whole time um Throughout Next Generation, we keep getting teased about the Romulans, but we never get, like, uh, an actual resolution. And I think for him, that would have been, like, a battle. <laughs> you know, like, an actual, like, space battle involving a fleet or something uh, like that. I have to ask him, but that's see. the impression that I get. Whereas for me, I think... Because that, at the end of... Sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, at the end of Nemesis, you kind of get this almost peaceful resolution in the sense that you you finally see that some of these Romulans are coming around to the Federation side and want to become allies. That's right, that's right. So I can see that throughout the whole, like, TNG, DS9, Voyager, and the films, nothing really happens with them, ever. (laughs) The big baddie of the Romulan Empire is like a... is the Riemann kind of... (laughs) it's true that's true nero and he even says i i stand apart from uh romulus like he kind of establishes himself like cleans himself his hands of uh of romulan government Mm. so yeah did you say nero yeah so that's good (laughs) but i i like that i like that i think that that's how uh (laughs) the that's kind of a uh in and of itself i think that's kind of great and brave storytelling because you're not always going to battle with your enemies you know sometimes it could be a cold war and depicting what life is like under a cold war i mean like certainly certainly under the climate that we have today i'm hoping the world remains sans world war three you know (laughs) even though even though star trek predicts a world war three in our future uh in our in our past oh it's past already though (laughs) yeah it's like in 1990 right but i'm saying in our point in history 
if you if you were to rack up what what hasn't happened, we've avoided the eugenics war, so that hasn't happened. So that's good. Humans are doing really good. I mean, let's be real. We're going to avoid first contact as well. But I mean, I don't know that like that. Uh, there was a uh, asteroid, cigar shaped asteroid that was passing very close to our planet that a lot of mm. uh, folks were excited for a moment, and uh, I thought Donald Trump was going to release the. The Roswell. The hounds. <laughs> Release the hounds. <laughs> oh, I forgot. They're puppies. <laughs> um, to, to reflect on what you were saying about the Romulans, um, I know, I know, like, the, the biggest comparison is TOS Klingons represent kind of the Russians and the Cold War. Right. Um... But in a funny way, I think the Romulans kind of represent the Russians in the Cold War um, even more because, I mean, there's never really been open war with the Russians the same way there's never been open war with the Romulans. They're just kind of this big, dark, scary kind of territory in the background that's constantly used as an example for like these guys are the enemies like don't mess with them we don't want anything to happen with them nothing ever happens because everyone stays on their side of the territory and everyone has laws that not not everyone understands on both sides but then they just right i like like the way i like the way data explains it in that one scene he says that the romulans have a policy of uh of testing our uh kind of confrontational policy like they'll come within you know uh, striking distance of our star bases that are along the neutral zone or things like that just to see what the Federation's mm-hmm. willing to do. And the Federation's policy is always don't strike first. <laughs> so it's like, it's an interesting... Huh? What's that? Oh, always. Oh, yeah, I know. So, yeah, the pol- I mean, the like, policy is not to, not to strike first. It's It's... That's what's brilliant about uh, Discovery's uh, pilot episode. I think that that the fact that that like discussion takes place uh, between Burnham and um, uh, um, Captain uh, Giorgio is valuable for brand new Star Trek fans to get kind of like some of the philosophy behind Star Trek that you don't necessarily pick up if you're just if you're just coming in on Discovery. It's like you are experiencing Star Trek in a whole new way from any other generation of people that experience star trek it's got to be like mind-blowing or confusing or whatever (laughs) it's like (laughs) discovery discovery though has blurred the lines between um responding to a first strike by an enemy and uh revenge right correct well, uh, uh, Cap- which... we'll talk about Captain Maxwell in the next. <laughs> That's we like will. exactly we the will. theme of, of the next episode. Um, really quickly, though, there was an Earth Romulan war on Memory Alpha. I thought I knew about this, um, but let's see. It's probably something from the books. Uh, mm. uh, uh, yeah, it's like more. Is it? Let's see. In 2156, Earth forces in the Romulan Empire entered a state of war that would continue well into 2160. So, in mirror, in a mirror darkly part two, the balance of terror. Oh, yeah. So, it was mentioned in the original series briefly, but it's a very short conflict. A skirmish, really. Kind of like the Klingon like war. Like there has been... Um, <laughs> kind of like the Discovery Klingon war that lasts only, what, six months? <laughs> Eight months, maybe. It's it must a year, be a very a big investment war. to create. What's that? It must that? be a very big investment 
uh, it must cost a, a lot of resources to build a starship, let alone a fleet. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, war isn't necessarily cost-effective, is it? No, not at all. S- even sending the- ships out to, to blow each other up, even even for an empires and, and federations, which are huge, I mean, you probably don't want to do that. Well, and it's implied that um, there's no money in, you know, there's not, at least when they say no money, they mean no currency, so... Everything works. No, but there, there is resources. You need the metals. You right, need the, you somehow, know, the alloys. Somehow resources are exchanged without money. Like that's within the Federation. Do you know what I'm within saying? Within the like, Federation. Within the Federation, somehow that. Klingons, so Romulans. Isn't that like something fascinating to think about? Like I wonder how many government classes uh, have actually torn apart the uh, economy of a, of a no currency uh, environment like Star Trek. I'm now here's the, the thing. This is me in the witness protection program audience. <laughs> here's the thing. The Within st- the Federation. The st- Star Trek fandom they, protection they s- program. No, I'm just kidding. Uh- <laughs> oh Within the Federation, they still have uh, Federation credits, which they can use on uh, planets which aren't part of the Federation. Correct, yes. But it seems so like there you still just, has to be. Some you can sort of also currency. just replicate money. Like if I if I were if I were gonna go to like a planet that still still uses. But that's money, the whole point. I would just replicate uh, I mean, that's it. the whole point. Um, <laughs> when it comes to like uh, what are they called? Fucking um, quark uh, and all of the fingery what they use. Oh, hold on. Um, go back. Ah, we lost you. Oh, how can I forget the names? You're frozen. No. Let's see if we can uh, bring Trek on the tube back here. Oh, there you are. You're back. <laughs> Hello. You're back. Hello. Hello, Trek on the tube. There you are. I'm back. You're back. So you were saying the the whole point of Quark's, um, Quark's th- uh, something, and then we lost you. Yeah, no, I was going to say the currency that Quark uses and, and uh, that all the uh, Ferengi use, which is the, and I completely forget. Gold-pressed um, latinum. Gold-pressed latinum. <laughs> from, what I, from what I understand, and this is just maybe I'm completely off, but from what I gather, latinum uh, is not a replicatable. Rip, replicable? Yes. I don't know how, how you want to say Replicatable. I think that's absolutely and, correct. And so... Considering you can't actually replicate that substance or that alloy or whatever it is, because it's liquid or kind of it's not it necessarily solid. A, from whatever, yeah, whatever its properties are, you can't make because you can definitely you replicate gold. <laughs> yeah, but but that's just it's just a wrapping. It's it, it's useless. Yeah. Um, that the gold is worthless when put around the latinum. Um, but the latinum you can't actually replicate it. And so I think what they tried to explain is. There are certain uh, certain things in the Star Trek universe that you cannot replicate, and that are extremely valuable. That 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 are. I would assume yeah, the, yeah. the the orbs from DS Nine uh, that have to do with the prophets and that, I mean those kind of things. You oh, can't yeah, replicate they're, that. They're priceless, exactly. So, uh, so, in, but in other words, I mean that's all like, yeah, exactly. Like you're right. There is trading going on of some kind, and and certainly like. There are money still out there, which I like that the next generation at least acknowledges that. Like, <laughs> hmm. it's true. I think Rom. It only makes sense. Yeah. Oh, doesn't it? 
Um, what did you think of the when the when the Romulan reveal happened? Do you, like were you like uh, <laughs> did you did you predict like when you first saw it? Did you predict it? Do you remember being excited by it? Um. I mean, I don't really remember. The first time I saw this episode, Data's Day, I was, you know, a child, so I couldn't remember <laughs> what what I was thinking about it. Um, it it makes when you rewatch it, it makes complete sense. She's a Romulan because they have a way of showing Vulcans on screen, which is not at all the way they show this Vulcan. They, they have this kind of impending doom ambiance around her all the time. And so you, you know something's off. You think, okay, even if she is a Vulcan, she's working for the Romulans Some, or something. There's, there's something, something wrong about on. it. There's, yeah, because... Well, yeah, yeah, it's just the way they made the episode, It, it it's too obvious. It, maybe it wasn't back in the day, but maybe today it is. I don't. I couldn't. I couldn't tell. I mean, no. If that's I, the problem. I but. definitely remember being suspicious of of that character. But like the what I was suspicious of her was not that she was a an implanted spy, for, spy. for that long. Yeah, that mm. was kind of a, a thing that was cool. Like I was just to me that was like one of those moments in Star Trek where I was like, ah, oh, the Romulans are pretty. Uh, pretty crazy <laughs> devious. <laughs> devious and I really liked we don't ever see him again but I liked uh, Admiral um, I can't remember his name now I was going to say Jarek but it's not it's like uh, oh what's his face um, <laughs> let's like take a look at it let's head over to IMDB <laughs> okay well while you do that I'm, I'm going to talk about something that you, that you mentioned earlier on um you're talking about how how Data has kept in contact with um, that Maddox. I don't know. Commander, he's, like a, he's a commander, Commander Maddox. But is he is he a scientist or an yeah, engineer a, or a he, bit of both? I think, if I'm not mistaken, because my memory is really bad, but um, we could easily look this up. He was the uh, director or the lead scientist working on a cybernetics program to basically okay, create so. an android like Data at the Daystrom Hi. Institute or someplace like that. High-ranking, high so kind of scientific or engineer, or however you want to call Correct, it. Yeah. Um, I found it interesting that he had kept in contact with him. I don't. I, what, what do you do? You think they have some sort of uh, relationship, as in a friendship, going on, or do you think it's it's purely um, kind of educational? Like he's telling him how he feels and what's going on in his day, just so that the other guy gets a grasp of <laughs> of how it is to be data. Ba- based on the. It's hard to tell because based on the delivery, like I like that's when you know the cool thing about this episode is the whole time we're hearing the contents of the letter uh, while Data narrates narr- is mm. you know, is narrating. He's like you know the whole time that's what that's one of the neat thing about this episode is that like you get a narration but without <laughs> it's tricky without the captain's log. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Um, and it was a friendly sounding tone to me, but I can also imagine that. Uh, because of the ending of that previous episode, um, which now my memory, I can't remember the name. Data, my aromatic syndrome is advancing too much. <laughs> Get Dr. Crusher. Yeah, so is, this, is, this, is this documentation uh, just p- a pure form of documentation or is it really... Like a friend, a friend I chatting think he's, to a friend. I think he's always Data is always going to have a friendly tone, but I do think that like I am in my this that's is, just his polite tone, isn't right. it? Right, but I imagine that he and Commander Maddox 
do eventually become friends if we were to follow through to mm. you know like whatever end of that storyline of data storyline which is actually quite cool he's like the oh bicentennial God. man cut, cut to a scene of Maddox <laughs> hearing about data's death and or not even oh yeah that's i i'm just sure yeah that's falling <laughs> to the ground screaming no <laughs> fucking starfleet you wasted this valuable resource it was yeah. one of a kind you sent that years ago i told you <laughs> to leave him in my office <laughs> i blame you picard <laughs> <laughs> That's totally what happens. You know it. You know it. He could have just spaced himself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and <laughs> uh, consequently, you could also have a scene where maybe I, from my understanding in the comic books, BB-8 somehow becomes Data again. BB-8? Yeah. Before. B- <laughs> my God. Wrong. BB-8 becomes Data? <laughs> what is this podcast? What, what am I listening to? Thank you for... <laughs> You were like, well, before came before BB-8, so there you go, B-4. So my understanding of the comic books is that B-4 somehow becomes uh, Data. He, like, I'm not sure what the... I didn't. I didn't yeah, read that. I comic, refuse that. That's not canon. <laughs> but you could have a scene if you did a movie where you, if you did want to do that, you could have Maddox be the one who's like, "Well, didn't Data hmm. connect to B four? We can we can make his subroutine dominant and suppress B 4s subroutine. Like he's you, at least I'll he's that you. good at you know at at cybernetics. I'll tell you what though. <laughs> We're going a little off track here, yes. but <laughs> as we sucks. as we small side, it's the Star small, Trek universe. There's so much. There's so much. <laughs> small side note: I believe that it's not a good idea to have data replaced before, be it like a dominant subroutine or anything like that, because that goes against everything data stands for. Data would want before to live his own life and live his own experiences, even if before is limited in comparison to data and law so so i think so da- that the data, data is dead and he should not come back and that's here's it. the genius of dr soon i have a i have a story that i just made up to explain Ooh. why it, Ooh. why it's okay <laughs> he lives in the cloud <laughs> dr soon created before <laughs> presumably before lore and data right that's why he's so simple yeah he created him because he needed help to build data and lore before is was his assistant and could do all the like micro minutia crazy shit that dr soon couldn't do right Mm -hmm. okay so before was designed by dr soon to be his his assistant well data's dominant subroutine takes over realizes this builds another body downloads his subroutine into that body restores befores and bob's your uncle safe and sound data's (laughs) data's back Oh yeah, it works. It works. It really does work. I, I still believe, though, that it would be disappointing to bring back data in any shape, way, or like use before. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Use before to create more some type androids that are not data. Right. I think it's just disappointing to bring back data. He's had an amazing. <laughs> I know that people didn't really like Nemesis and how I love Nemesis but but (laughs) uh, I I, I very much enjoy Nemesis I think it's a different movie but it it works in a different way yeah totally um um I I think it's just Data's Data did what Data had to do in the series and he he will forever be iconic and I think that even in his species it would be nice to see something else I think if there were to be a species 
Yeah, I think that's cool too. I and and if we never get any more data, I think data is such a wonderfully fleshed out. Like we experienced the f- like enough data to like last us. <laughs> look, I mean, look at this crazy discussion we had. Just thinking about mm. data. Have we so, have yeah. we not had enough Spock? <laughs> I mean, I love Spock, but no, I don't. I'm, I'm not. I'm There's, not a very big fan of Spock, but. I think you get him I, in a Kelvin timeline. I, you get him at a prime timeline, and he comes back to life. The thing and about now you're talking about Burnham. Oh, forever Spock. The thing about the thing about those two characters, and and for a moment now we're you know we're really going off the deep end here on our discussion, but I think it's oh, still wow, all yeah. really uh, uh, valid. It relates to Data's days. So. It, it totally relates to Data's day. The thing is, is that like I think what eventually happens though, and this is like just a human. A, a fact of human nature, so to speak, is that like if we love a performer um, just as audience members, because you know, like Star Trek has its universe and its canon, and there's important things not to go overboard. But when you love a character, you just want him, like the actor, to portray that character for as long as possible. And I think that's what uh, uh, ends up yeah. happening with movies like this. And I think Star Trek does a beautiful job of like giving it their all. Because I personally want, I want William Shatner. <laughs> I don't care what how they explain it. I, I want William Shatner back on the screen, and I think he should. I think he should just be one, one more. Just, just. I don't care if it's it's a movie where he's Have just you? by himself, like talking for three hours about Captain Kirk's <laughs> life or whatever. I don't know. But uh, have you seen that interview? <laughs> they they ask him like, "Would you be willing to come back?" And he says yes. And they're like, "What about Canon?" And he goes, "Canon." Can be changed, <laughs> especially, <laughs> can, especially can be changed. You're dead, boy. And it, especially by Captain Kirk. I mean, Captain Kirk can do whatever he wants to. Oh, but dude. the same goes for like all of them. You know, for me, that's one of the things that's hard about Star Trek is that as much as I like us moving to new things, I think that you know, you I don't go. think that I don't think the next generation's done in my mind. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's still quite a few stories to tell with the with the that cast. I agree. You know, I think that there's still like uh, some some films, or maybe even a sec. You know, something that no one's ever really done. But I think I wonder if these guys would be open to it as like a second run miniseries, like uh, just four episodes, an hour and a half long each, of kind of taking us to their wherever they are in that point in their lives. So like, age the characters the same way that the actors have aged. You know. And just do mm. like a, a high quality, like you know, amazing special effects, and give us like a primer for a new Star Trek universe beyond uh, beyond Next Generation. Wow! I hope this video gets seen by uh, <laughs> some executives over at uh, Paramount. <laughs> You're free to steal these ideas. <laughs> I just want to see it up on the screen. I don't care what if you pay me or not. <laughs> hey, transitioning from good ideas to bad ideas. Yes. Because this is something that bugs me, and it's not necessarily in Data's Day. It's just in TNG in general, but. I'm going to talk about it because it isn't Data's day. Uh, they go find... Uh, so Data's trying to find a present for Keiko and O'Brien's wedding. And so he goes to this this kind of replicated room where he finds a <laughs> wharf. And, and they're, they're choosing the gift. Why the hell is there a, like a common replicator room? What's the point of that? Those are the... Because like your, your replicator that you have in your uh, quarters can can replicate things that are about like... 
yay big, you know, like whatever fits in that little replicator box. Oh, the cubicle, um, essentially. It's like a microwave. Yeah, it's like a micro- size <laughs> That's exactly what it is, yeah. And so, like, that, I, the thing that kind of tipped me off was, like, oh, like, Worf was at first looking at a chair. So you could, <laughs> you could, you ah, could go in there and, like, you could replicate a chair. Because, like, how do people get furniture in there? In their structure. I see, so those are the ones on the <laughs> yeah. table, but they could be one, like, they could be a big pad on the ground where you could actually an, replicate an, 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 an entire, entire chair, table. Yeah, or a, cha- a chair. But then you, then you have to drag it through all of the corridors back to your, no, you can no, transport you it to your room. transport it to your room. But, <laughs> so, so just walking around the corridor with your big ass table, like, but, um, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, good, so, well, yeah. thank you, you helped me on that, because uh, every Yay. time I would look at it and I think, why are they just replicating in these common rooms is pointless but yeah it will i'll to be fair i, I, I always never even further. noticed them and t- i never even oh really t- t- till this i, I always went like is it because <laughs> energy distribution i was thinking maybe it, it's like it takes too much energy no. to replicate that kind of stuff in a room and i was like eh, yeah so i don't know okay well i think that's what it is it, you know what's kind of interesting about the way the replicator works is that um this is how I think maybe TNG is inspired gaming, because uh, you see like in um, some of these online gaming things, like things just appear for you when you need them, just like just like they do in Star Trek. So, what I say is that like let's stop wasting time on uh, let's scientific community. Let's stop wasting time on anything that doesn't matter and focus all our attention and energy on building a matter replicator. <laughs> it's gonna totally change everyone's lives. Um, Ted Ted Sullivan uh, tweeted, and I I can't quote the exact tweet, so it was something along the lines of, we don't like replicators, or he doesn't like replicators because he finds uh, it it makes things too easy in a story to to have things like um, accessible that easily. And that kind of bugged me because they, they never use the replicators in a major way to, to kind of fix whatever story is going on. They just, the replicator is there to not waste time on preparing a meal, not waste time on uh, figuring out what kind of clothes. It's just like you replicate whatever clothes you need to go down on the planet, you replicate whatever meal because you're hungry, you replicate whatever weapon you need, and then you can move on to the actual story. And I, and I always thought that replicators were a great idea in that sense. Oh, yeah, it's a great... Waste time with, with small things yeah especially even, on the tv show you don't, don't have time to deal with trivial things just move on to this is an episode about trivial things but right. um but even even on the yeah. show there is that it's interesting that ted sullivan uh tweeted that because even on the within the context of the show itself uh as we'll see in the next episode but we've seen many times already is that there's a debate among humans about like should you replicate or should you cook you know like the old-fashioned way and stuff mm. like that and so I think that's kind of an interesting thing that I'm I'm definitely on the replicator team. <laughs> I'm all for replicators. Why, why wouldn't you <laughs> yeah, be? Like, come on, look, I'm ready. I'm ready for my replicator now. It can go in that corner right over there, and oh, uh, <laughs> it can go anywhere. <laughs> Computer. Anywhere you put it, I'll go to it. <laughs> I'll have Don't a worry vo- about it. A vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. <laughs> you, you put it at the end of the hallway. I'll go down there. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know it's good. Very interesting. Very I um, interesting. I, I I thought about that. I remember it. The third look that data uh, kind of gives. Um, that that really really was human was in the uh, in the barbers. 
Um, so Geordie's getting his hair cut. Sorry, not oh, he's getting the, his hair cut right. and there's this there's this alien <laughs> they're woman changing their hair color that's got this yeah she's got this green hair and they go it goes from green to brown and then back to like right. orange because <laughs> she's getting it kind of um <laughs> it's i don't I know sci- like, sci-fi dyed sci-fi dyed it's like <laughs> and um we can make and up he, whatever and he, for he, it yeah it's like genetically yeah he, he has this double glance a very comedic double glance <laughs> with, he kind of looks at it and goes what the hell? <laughs> and then he looks back at Jordy, and I thought that was very, very human. It's true. Um, or not android at all. I think that. Um, um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that the barber that's cutting Jordy, Jordy's hair might be uh, Mott, who comes in to the to show the many times. This is this might be his first appearance. That like interesting alien species oh, really? with that the blue. Was first yeah. appearance? I think so, if I'm not mistaken. Let me see. The the, the Bolian barber. Bolian, thank you. Good good on you for knowing that. <laughs> I don't know his name. I know his, I know his race. I know his species. So. Later I mean that's how he's not listed here on IMDB that I see. Mm. But um later on he becomes uh Mott uh, Barber Mott. Let me see what memory uh, that barber is, yeah, I suppose yeah, he's not Recurring, recurring, but we do see him now and then. Um, I think, I think that he has even a rank MOT. There he is. It it is nice to see a few of these kind of lower deck um, people constantly on the ship. Mm-hmm. It's just nice to know that the ship, even though there's a lot of transfers and there's you know there's a thousand people on the ship so moving around all the time. It's nice to see that there's a a certain few that are always there and the- that have their jobs. And, it's true. This I like that. this particular Bolian's name is Vassal. Okay. So it's his first appearance on the show, but Mott comes later, and Mott will appear on. Uh, Mott often gave tactical advice to Captain Picard, which is really funny. <laughs> you go to your barber and you figure out how to solve the problem. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're in a standoff with the Klingons or the Romulans, you got to go see your barber. It's true. Um, I mean, that's that's it. That's the solution. Speaking uh, speaking of uh, DS Nine, <laughs> I didn't. I know it's just random. But today is actually the 25th anniversary. Is it the 20th or the 25th anniversary of DS Nine? 25th, 25th anniversary of DS Nine. And so I have. I'm obligated to say that um, I do another show called Drunk Space Nine. Did I tell? Do you know about Drunk Space Nine? Sean? I've heard about okay, it. So I, uh, <laughs> there's a I'm intrigued by your announcement, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm obligated to say that uh, there's another show called Drunk Space Nine, which you can listen to online. You just do a Google search for Drunk Space Nine, and one of the feeds will come up. I think iTunes or um, iTunes or Libsyn or whatever. And so it's the same idea as Starfleet Boy, <laughs> except drunk. <laughs> So, about Deep Space Nine. About, and, and about Deep Space Nine. So, yeah, go check it out. And, uh, <laughs> Sean, uh, I, I think we, uh, I have to get approval from the, uh, the, that is hosted by Goldu Scott, who's a friend of mine. But I'm sure you'd be welcome on the show if you okay. wanted to ever get drunk and talk, about, Scott. talk about Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so it's a requirement. You need to get hammered. You need to get wasted to be able to talk about Deep Space Nine. Is that yeah, it? well, we uh, we came up with the show in a excuse me in a re- really weird way. Um, 
I think this is gonna demonetize this video, but that's okay because that's not why I do do this. <laughs> but uh, often um, when I am watching Star Trek, I will have a, a beer or something like that. It's just yeah, it's a relaxing time, you know. You gotta. <laughs> it's like that's the that's the thing to do. And so one time I forgot I had a few beers. It was like a weekend night, and uh, my friend Scott just like that was the moment where he was like, oh, let's do. A, are you? He he was excited about Starfleet Boy, and he said, let's do a show about Deep Space Nine. And I was like, let's do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so that's how <laughs> that's how Drunk Space Nine was born. You, it was born through you drunk. You chose the show <laughs> very well, actually, because out of all of the Star Trek shows that exist, apart maybe for the animated series, which can get really funky sometimes, <laughs> um, Deep Space Nine with the whole prophets and emissaries and all of that going on, yeah, sometimes, I mean, watching the pilot of Deep Space Nine drunk would be an interesting experience. <laughs> um, it can't make it any worse, that's for sure, but... Oh, oh wait, oh, do we not like Ooh. Deep Space Nine? <laughs> I don't like Deep Space Nine's pilot. Interesting, I think it's awesome. <laughs> I'd be curious for you wow. to go back and listen to our discussion, our drunk discussion of, of the pilot and see see what your, uh, your thoughts are on that. Um, but the reason I brought up Deep Space Nine is because to me it feels like uh, with Keiko and, Brian, and O'Brien especially that like we're getting the first and especially in the next episode um, but around here we're getting like the hints of what is going to build into uh, Deep Space Nine because next, next episode we meet the Cardassians um, which mm. I'm excited to talk about next but before we move on uh, do you think we, we did we kill it? Did we get everything we need to talk about on Data's Day? talked about nothing about data's day we talked about everything else no we we? didn't there's not much to talk about data's day (laughs) there isn't there isn't much to talk about um it um i don't know what did i want i think we this this is the part in okay on on a pure on a purely kind of formal kind of reviewing kind of way i will say one thing is a bit weird the whole episode is about data and how data is perceiving this day and so we follow him instead of following the captain. Uh, and so we even get that situation where um, he's in the Picard's ready room with Ambassador Tapel, and sh- she gives a, a, a nasty glance at Picard, and so he excuses Data. Mm-hmm. And so we, as, as we were talking about earlier, we follow Data back to his console, and he's saying, yeah, there's something weird about this whole situation. We have his point of view, except... At one point, around like the, I think it's like the two thirds of the episode or something, we get this whole situation where uh, we're in the transporter room trying to figure out what actually happened to Depel, and we're, we're looking at the debris, like the kind of remains, uh, well, the the planted remains of her. And um, if you if you go back and actually look at that moment, then it it becomes it's no longer Data's day. It just becomes. A run-of-the-mill TNG episode again, where you're following the captain and kind of the the high-ranking officers, and they're trying to figure out what happens. And uh, I just found it interesting that for for that moment, they they like deviated from went the, away the thing. With, yeah, but data because was, they didn't necessarily need to do it. Right. They could have just had another thing going on with data, and then he goes to see Be- uh, Beverly Crusher yeah. and says, "What's going on?" And she could have just explained, "Oh, we, you know, we found the remains." But I think there was something with O'Brien in that scene where he had to explain that 
there's nothing wrong with the transporter and Geordie too has to really go on and say there's nothing wrong with the transporter it was just it's kind of um, but da- just a moment but Data wasn't in that scene I remember right he wasn't ah, in that okay. scene at all and he has actually nothing to do with that scene and so it just uh, it takes me out of that whole Data's Day perspective right and um, yeah that I say this because I, I, I say that in Discovery they want to make a show about the first officer and well fail it's not really the first officer but most <laughs> of Discovery does take place from like kind of the, the viewpoint of Lorca anyway the captain so I suppose they kind of failed and it, it would be hypocritical of me to not say the same thing about this episode where it, but it is just this instance the whole episode is there, it's, there. it's just this moment yeah. isn't anymore and That's I an felt it was it, I don't know is it just to move the plot along and talk about the transporter or um, fill in an important piece of information that they felt that the audience needed but it still would have been yeah. it wouldn't uh, the, I think the real question wouldn't is wouldn't have been hard to have data in the room in the room just to like solve the problem That's <laughs> yeah, true but I'm not even sure that they were even trying to tell the story that way though because there are a couple scenes like for example um when uh, Tapel is trying to access the computer, she calls Data in, and we're already in her room in that scene, and we actually yeah, see. Yeah, no, her, absolutely. You know? And then there's another, a couple of other times where like they linger, like Data will leave the room, and then they linger just for a moment longer mm. in in there. It's so, just that. But what I'm saying all of those is, those stories I'm really if, revolve around yeah, him. I wonder if just like artistic. Or is this certain scene? Constructing it, like, I wonder if that's something that was even debated in the writers, well, not even the writers, but, like, among the production uh, staff and when when the director was making those decisions. That's the thing about a show, ultimately, um, and one thing that I, you know, I agree with you about Discovery, like, you know, it could, it could go hardcore, but the thing is, I don't know that, like, you can tell a story easily by just purely yeah. following one character. You know what I mean? Like, I don't Is know. Is it interesting yeah. not knowing, not having the point of view of the right. captain, too? Right, exactly. Is it interesting? Right, yeah. You don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, it's just, is it annoying <laughs> constantly being shrouded in mystery? You need to learn something yeah. at some point. So, yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point. And maybe Discovery is realizing that it doesn't work and it's soft. You know, I think that the interesting thing about Star Trek Discovery that we didn't have with any other show is that because of the way that like information is so marketing and information the way it works today as opposed to when Star Trek The Next Generation when they were filming like you heard nothing no one cared (laughs) very few fans cared about like what was going on you know with the creation of the show uh, it just kind of like was mm. like, oh, there's a new Star Trek show coming. That's so exciting. What's it about? Oh, it's going to be 80 years. It was like limited information. Like it's at 80 years in the future, mm. a brand new crew, blah, blah, blah. That's it. With Discovery, what I noticed was that like, and I don't know if this is just, you know, this whole phenomenon of where rumors become so like, um, uh, you know, inflated that like you think it's actually going to be that way. But like, it seems like there was so much information about the show uh from even you know even like like the politics in, involved with Brian Fuller leaving and you know all these things so i feel like i did myself a disservice by kind of 
getting my hopes up that the show was going to be really radical, kind of like what was described <laughs> in in some of those like initial like you know uh, press things that came out or whatever. And then, which I bet like like every other show, it went through a journey where they were like, "Oh, this isn't going to work. We have to change." It. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like they were probably like, "Yeah, I see what you, you mean." Know, like, not not everyone always follow through follows through on radical ideas. Yeah, exactly. Mad Max Fury Road <laughs> followed well, through. Well, especially when on you're being... helmsman Brian Fuller, who was supposed to be the 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 ship steer of the radical idea, leaves. It's like maybe the the new uh, steers of the ship were just like. We're not Brian Fuller. We don't know how to execute this, you know. Like we're gonna do it the way that we yeah, no, that yeah. we know how to. So, I think Discovery, like, you could see that in the in the show. Like, you can see that it suffers from some kind of like uh, failure <laughs> on on somewhere, you know, on some level. And so, but the thing is, is despite that, I think that like, um, and we'll talk. Well, we're gonna be talking a lot about this. Uh, so so I'll end the discussion about it there. But despite that, I'm I'm cur- I'm still curious about Star Trek Discovery. I'm 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 excited about Sunday. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. There is something going on there. But then your to your point about this episode, um, it didn't bother me when I saw it. Um, like I didn't have the same kind of like thing, but now that I'm aware of it, I'm like, yeah, that's something that like it would have been so it, um, you know it would have been so simple to have uh, data in the room. Like that's the kind of thing that like you know <laughs> to to be completely to be completely fair, that's not the kind of thing that you're gonna notice or pay attention to when you're just watching the episode to enjoy it. Right, right, right. Um, because we are reviewing these episodes and having discussions you have to, about yeah, them. Yeah, you have to go deep. <laughs> we have this kind of mind frame where I kind of analyze a little more. Yeah, it's true. Um, to some certain extent, I mean, it might not be a good thing because analyzing episodes kind of makes you realize that some of your favorite episodes maybe aren't as good as they you thought they were. Um, I suppose it's just a different way of viewing them. But um, yeah, being well, in this situation where yeah. I'm looking at every detail, I, I kind of notice that it's I, not a thing that bothers me at all. I like I just, it though it's because just to point out. I like it though because you you I it's clear that you have an interest in filmmaking and the and the and writing and you know and you and you can't help but see a shit once you decide to take that journey into wanting to go behind the scenes and like start like even if you are doing it you know as a hobby once you start making you know films and and tv show you know you start writing scripts and things like that you can't help but mm-hmm. like then go and say like what you know like there is a new layer to star trek for you in particular and i and i'm there with you on the filmmaking side like i really enjoy like as a photographer uh, a very natural place i'd like to try at some point is like director of photography would be like an amazing thing to be on some kind of production you know what i mean like that would be like something for me so i i tend to like focus my attention on like that kind of stuff a lot too so i love that like hearing your perspective because that's kind of a perspective that for me is rusty <laughs> do you know so I, I think you complete me uh anyways <laughs> i'll finish on a good point actually though excellent um <clears throat> data has a kind of i suppose active friendship with keiko yeah and this is actually her first episode and too that we never see keiko before i was this, so it's kind of an interesting thing to drop i on was this, kind yeah. of <laughs> okay, so not only has he has he got this, 
I suppose relationship going on with with Doctor What's his face, <laughs> Doctor Maddox. Um, yeah. I, I can't remember his name, but he's he's still in touch with him. But he's also got a a real friendship going on with Keiko because, I mean, yeah, she's like serious. Look, look at look at where he is right. in, in the wedding and what he's doing and right. and um. It's it's yeah. it's awesome from that you, you know thanks for ending on that note because actually it's awesome from that perspective because even in his letter to Commander Maddox, um, in the beginning he says I'm going to give you um, you know a rundown of my a, a typical day in my life with a heavy emphasis on friendships, and he ends the, mm. he ends the episode by saying although there are lots of he doesn't claim to feel human emotions, but he can he can understand some, and he can't. He's baffled by others. Well, data, don't worry. Humans are also baffled by some some Absolutely. emotions. Um, but 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 he says the one one emotion he does understand is is love and friendship, and I think it's really great because it's it's a nice way to introduce Keiko because. Um, it's not a big deal that we never saw Data's friendships before because he's not one of the like prime characters. And in fact, we don't see any of the crew's friendships outside of their own involvement with each other. So this is actually really awesome because you do see that one moment where Commander Riker seems to be flirting with the tactical officer who is on duty, right? Like, yeah. he's like totally like... Um, he's telling a joke. He's telling, he's a, telling joke, a joke. But then he comes down to the bridge and he kind of looks back at her and she smiles and like... You know, uh, and even yeah. the context yeah, yeah, of the yeah. narration... He was just trying to see if his joke was right. funny. Right, and that's the narration it, in that scene was... So it is delightful that we get to, you know, uh, obviously, like, we see that, like, of course these people, just like, you know, right now, Sean, you and I are here doing the show, but behind us we have other people that, you know... Around mm. us, that we don't. I've yet to meet your wife, sir. <laughs> and we're developing a friendship, but we also have other relationships in our um, in our periphery. So, like, I like that the show kind of expands on that. But um, but Keiko mm. even says in that one moment, she's like, "You're very important to both Miles and I because he brought them together." So, you know, and he's given mm. and and for Keiko to choose him to be the the one who gives her away, like he's basically representing. They are very yeah, the, very the, good the, friends. Yeah, they have to, to be very to close. be put in that situation. Yeah, so it's a really neat. It also thing, helps yeah. the integration of Keiko a lot. You instantly are going to she fall, immediately yeah. feels part of the family. Exactly. Exactly, it was really she, well done. Yeah, immediate, it's not like oh, she's just you know the wife of O'Brien. No, she's Keiko, and she she's like a an active member of this family that we're following yeah. on screen. It was a it was a genius way of uh, of of kind of doing that. Um, and it was nice of them to not uh, make an episode about like a Data's Day episode about friendship that revolves around Geordie. because right. as much as I love Geordie... He's not his only we know friend, that, right? We, <laughs> we know that Data and Geordie are friends. We know that they're best friends, but it was nice to see someone else. No. There you go. No. Very well said. So let's uh, let's get to... Uh, we could do quickly uh, some of the, the little factoids on um, on uh, Memory Alpha, because uh, both Humbert and Gary present these and I think uh, I think it's interesting so uh, did you know that the idea of because it might answer some of our own debates we should read these first oh, we, we should we should be organized <laughs> we should be, is what we organized should be. On the, we'll read these first for the next episode audience <laughs> the idea of doing a God. day in the life plot was first pitched by Harold Apter during the third season various viewpoints were considered including Picard's and that of the ship itself according to Ron Moore Data's viewpoint was finally chosen because he's the only one 
who's up 24 hours a day. And that's so true. However, Michael Pillar mm. and Rick Berman instead insisted that at least one plot arc should run through the story and the Romulan spy intrigue was created. Interesting. Okay, yeah, fair enough. So it's cool. So that's how they got to the begin day watch and begin night, night watch. Which I loved. <laughs> it's like, I love that. It makes sense. <laughs> you get like such a cool glimpse into the workings of a starship. Uh, but, but casually, just like thrown in there as like a, a minor thing. <laughs> yeah, like, that, I mean, you don't have to make a thing no, about I it. I love it's it. Just, it's that's it's how wonderful. It is. Uh, the writing staff had considered a shipboard marriage for some time before the development of this episode. Michael Pillar had at one point suggested marrying Picard. <laughs> that would have been very interesting. Another idea was to marry God. O'Brien to the female con officer intended to replace Wesley. Regarding the latter, Pillar explained, I was against that because I felt that O'Brien was too good a character and potential benefit to the show to make him another star's supporting character. I felt he would always sort of be a sounding board for someone else to talk to and i didn't want to waste him on that so we never did get around to replacing wesley and o'brien emerged on his own that's cool gates mcfadden and yeah i was gonna say we, we never saw that replacement that yeah. wesley replacement i was gonna yeah it's always like just the guest star <laughs> the guest of the day i think that's an important thing because i don't know about you but like that's something like you could kind of do contests with fans where you're like hey win a be be the next ensign at the con. <laughs> like, like, yeah, well, you can do that, but I always thought it was amazing for um, aspiring actors. It's true to get or, on the show. You know, it's a, it's pe- a great. I mean, true. people that have done a few maybe ads, or that have done like really minor kind of just walking in the street kind of roles. Right. Um, well, we get like it, we get like know, to have, Ashley to have Judd. That, uh, Ashley Judd on Star. Wasn't her first thing on Star Trek? Um, Do you know the actress Ashley, ha- Ashley Judd. Judd? She might be too obscure. <laughs> I'll probably recognize it unless I see her face. Right? Oh, and she was okay. on Star Trek TNG. Really? Yeah, she's in. Uh, let's see, what episode was she in? It still hasn't come yet. I don't think. In the two, she played Ensign Robin Leffler in the two Star Trek The Next Generation fifth season episodes, Darmok and The Game. Darmok and Jalad. Yeah, that's going to be an amazing discussion. Anyway, <laughs> such a good episode. Gates McFadden and Brent Spiner did their own dancing in this episode, except for one overhead shot where Spiner requested a double, as he did not feel confident enough to pull it off. McFadden did the choreography as she was a well-known Hollywood choreographer long before Next Generation. According to director Robert Weimer, McFadden and Spiner also developed the lines in the scene, which were later accepted by the scriptwriters. Um, oh really? Yeah, it's kind of cool. It is one of the scenes that I like the least in the in, the least in the episode. Really, I loved it. I, I say I this that. I, 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 now that I know that they write, write it, I kind of feel bad saying it. But um, no, it's it. I think it it drags on just for a, a little too long, um, which is kind of ironic to say considering he speeds the lessons up. I don't know. It's just not one of my favorite moments. Maybe because I, simply I'm not a fan of. Uh, question. I think that might be it. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> it might just boil down to that, you know. <laughs> that would that would do it though. Um, 
yeah, I guess I'd, I'd have to look at it again. But I mean, the scene's definitely long, but I loved it. It was delightful for me. Um, Gates McFadden, the actress who plays um, Dr. Crusher, is super active on Twitter. We definitely know about her cats and everything else. It's <laughs> a really good impression of Data. It finishes on a good note, though. <laughs> but she was, <laughs> but she was the choreographer for. Um, or she worked with Jim Henson. She used to work with Jim Henson, like on Labyrinth and, and a bunch of other things like that. So she has quite a interesting pedigree. And I mm. think, if I'm not mistaken, that she might be twins. But I could be mistaken about that. <laughs> okay, so now you're just saying things. I think I that might be Sohail's <laughs> Sohail's terrible memory. <laughs> or like now, now you're just saying whatever's going through your mind. Uh, <laughs> Could you imagine, though, she actually is twins? Uh, Second unit and insert shots for the episode were filmed on Friday, the 7th of December, 1990, on stage 8 and 9, including the scenes of William Glover. Okay, I don't know what that means. Anyways, (laughs) there's a lot of content. There's a long list of continuity things, so I'm just going to pick one at random here. Picard's action in this episode would be mentioned 10 episodes later in The Drumhead, twisted into near treason by witch-hunting Admiral Nora Sati. That's a cool thing to look forward to. Vassal the Barber first appeared in this episode as his name was not stated in dialogue. The Star Trek Encyclopedia actually assumed that he and another Bolian barber featured in later episodes, Mr. Mott, were in fact the same person. That's what I assumed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's an easy assumption. I'm going to be honest. I, I thought there was only one Bolian barber. Which was Mr. Mott. TNG. Yeah, that's what, that's what yeah, I thought too. And, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that because... What are the I'm odds of maybe bullions become barbers? <laughs> what, are the, what are the odds of having two I mean, bullion? Picard got used to the bullion barber, so when the, when the first guy left, he needed to get a second one, right? Data mentions no. that this episode takes place during a celebration of the Hindu Festival of Lights, one of the few references to actual non-fiction religious religions in Star Trek. This would suggest, but not confirm, a date of October 24th since the festival would fall on that date in 2367. Someone crazy did that math. Wow. <laughs> also, according to data, the Enterprise was... The, oh, that crazy person's probably Larry Namasek, by the way, uh, which a lot of these things come from his book, uh, The Star Trek Companion. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> also, according to data, the Enterprise was commissioned exactly 1,550 days, about four years, three months prior. Oh, we get a point from which they... They have a, like oh my a, god! We get like a, an actual like a, date. a date that you can then like the figure out the the continuity stuff. That's crazy. Um, taking the October date into account, this would suggest that the Enterprise was commissioned July twenty seventh. That we know the Enterprise's yeah, birthday, twenty three sixty three. Wow. However, this is contradictory with the commissioning date of four October twenty three sixty three in the Star Trek: The Next Generation technical manual, which I have sitting here somewhere mm. ah well i mean but the technical <laughs> manual isn't canon is it? i don't know but it was written by the akutas if the wedding date is taken to be 1550 days after the date of commission in the technical manual then the wedding actually occurs january 1st 2368 which would have been new year's day <laughs> not the festival of lights so interesting <laughs> that is well, some crazy that is some crazy uh, math well i'm gonna go by i like the idea of the enterprise having a summer birthday so uh mark <laughs> i'm marking the calendar now 
uh, for July 27, 2363. <laughs> because as we know, uh, even whatever, no matter what the technical manual says, the actual on-screen is the superior uh, source Absolutely. of information. So there we go. <laughs> the wrist is a reference to canon. It is not canon. Canon, exactly. <laughs> this episode marks the first Nightwatch scene on screen, although it does explain the difference in bridge lighting in several previous episodes. Mm. They were happening. So they had already thought about Nightwatch <coughs> and Daywatch before. They just had never mentioned it. They never it, mentioned which it. makes the whole thing uh, better. Yeah. Even It, it even just, just makes it makes deeper, it. doesn't true. it? I actually like the way the bridge is lit too during Night Watch. I think it's very pleasant, and um, that yeah. is something interesting. Uh, uh, before we go to our rating, uh, if you're traveling on a ship for that long, you need something to kind of remind you when uh, when night and day is. <laughs> it must it must be so, very horrible. Um, yeah. I envy Keiko's job. I'm not a nature guy. I don't I don't tend to go out and you know walk in in, in the parks or whatever, but. If I was on a starship, I would want to work as Keiko's assistant. I'm terrible at plants. I end up killing them all. But <laughs> I would like to learn and, and, and nurture plants and, and, and help them you know, start, start stay with alive that. and grow. Here's a little tip. Start with succulents and cacti. They're yeah, really hard. Well, to I mean, as a child, succulents <laughs> were the the thing that I could that I could grow. I would I would just take one leaf from my grandmother's <laughs> garden and plant it in my garden, and I'd have plenty. I'd be happy. But anything else? Yeah. Well, that's a that's a wrap. So let's get to the rating. Uh, shall I go first, or would you like to go first? Uh, well, you can go first. Tradition. I give this episode, um, just because for me it holds a very, superseding anything about its plot, it just holds a very special place in my heart because I really enjoyed it when I was a kid, and it mm. and it still delights me. I give this episode a 10. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. A 10. <laughs> a 10. This guy, this guy, this Spo- spoiler this alert, I don't think any episode will ever get a 10. Um, I know. We are, you established I, that. I, I can't yeah, do that. I can't, I can't do that. Um, oh, it's already canon, is it? Um, I think it's a 7. A good 7. Yeah, yes. Okay, that's a good solid, solid number. Well, that was well, pretty... I mean, you, you, weren't, you weren't expecting something <laughs> terrible, would you? No, no. <laughs> so, uh, so I guess we can average this episode out to an 8.5. 8. 8.5, yeah. yeah. So there we go, an 8.5 for, for the two of us. Well, Sean, I will see you momentarily. <laughs> but until then, and until next week for the audience, uh, live long and prosper, and see you next time. Live long and prosper.